Hey, hey, my name is Kirsten Galfan, and I'm so glad you're here. We'll be chatting and getting pumped up about how to make your life better and healthier, and sometimes easier and more fun too, right? I get to coach and train people like you almost every day, and we bring the fun, accountability, and results to where you're at right now. We'll be here weekly with a fun and crazy mix of inspiration and application, incredible guests, and your quick Friday victory lap. You are here at the Making Changes You Love to Live With podcast. Hey, hey, Courtney, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing awesome. It's good to see you. Um, I am excited to have you here for the name of the show is Making Changes You Love to Live With, which you said you've listened to a few anyway. So you get the idea of it. And I know, no, no, that what we're going to talk about here today will definitely help people perspective and help people in their knowledge and give them things uh, to help them make changes they love to live with. So you're brilliant and such like, I can tell that you love what you do. So why don't you tell us what you do for a living? All right. Well, I want to just say thank you for inviting me to be a part of the podcast. So I'm actually an occupational therapist. I work for a major rehab hospital in the Grand Rapids location. Um, my primary department, I work in outpatient. Um, so I, I currently work with a lot of the oncology program. Um, so I have also worked in like our, our pain program. So I have a little bit of background on that. Um, so, but that's kind of what I, what I do for a living. So, yeah. And do you do so you work in the hospital setting outpatient. So is it called the hospital setting when it's outpatient or no? Well, I mean, it's through the same rehab hospital. So yeah, okay. I, they're, they're, they're technical outpatient. They do have okay. um, like an inpatient rehab as well, but I kind of oh, okay. see the patient realm. Yeah. Okay, cool. And then do you, uh, also, I think it's fun when people kind of are able to do different ways of their job. Do you do in-home some and. Yeah. So I actually work for a rehab company. Um, that's a specific hospital, but then I also work for a home care company. So I do two different jobs. So yeah, I do, um, through two, two different entities in Grand Rapids, I work in home care. So I do in-home visits and then I also do outpatient. So I kind of got a little bit of variety in my schedule. <laughs> I like that. That's fun. How do you like that personally? Like, is it nice to mix it up or like, how did you arrive at that? I guess. Yeah. So, um, as far as the in-home, I absolutely love it because our main focus and in in-home is like community reintegration. So it's actually considered to be a home and community, um, setting. And so I actually can take patients out into the community and reintegrate them into society, which is really fun. So I get to do a lot of really fun treatment sessions. And then on the other end, I work in an outpatient. Um, so I work in the oncology program. So, which is primarily cancer rehab. Um, and I'm just incredibly passionate about that. Um, we mostly stay in the clinic, but again, like it allows me to be pretty creative with our treatment sessions. So yeah, it gives me a lot of good variety. Oh, that's good. I love it. And was there a time when you were a little girl or when did it come to you? You were like, Oh, this is what I should do. Um, I always, so I actually had a family member that was, um, that was sick. So I kind of experienced their journey through, um, some of that treatment and um, I always thought, well, I want to do medical. And at first I thought nursing. And then um, the first time that this particular family member had occupational therapy, 
they asked him the question of what are your roles? What are your goals? And what do you love to do? What is meaningful for you? So it was the first time they, they ever took into consideration his role as a father, his role as a brother, a business owner. And I'm like, that's what I want to do. (laughs) That literally gives me chills because that is so meaningful to me. Um, I'm so passionate about, yeah, looking at people's vision and kind of what, what does success look like to that person? Ah, that's so, so good. I love that. Um, you know, I, for what I do, I always, it's really important to me and I know everyone has different callings, but it's really important to me to work with people who want to be there. Uh, and that just, I mean, I get it. We all have seasons where we like have tons of resistance, uh, but it is just so rewarding for me when people are like, I want to get better. I want to get healthier. And I think maybe, you know, roles, goals, and what, like, what was the third one? Like that, just like what's meaningful to them is usually kind of what we focus in on. And I feel like having that conversation with some of my patients of like, what is meaningful to you gives them the motivation and then it gives us goals to work towards. So that's all occupational therapy is, is being able to perform the daily activities that you required are, that you require are required for like taking care of yourself or things that you have to do around like in your environment. So we really can address a whole lot of different things. So that's mm-hmm. where I love that field because it gives me a lot of creativity to yeah. do it. So which is, yeah. And I think that meaningful activities is the key, um, for, for OT. Yeah. Cause I was going to say, what's the difference. You gave us a good explanation of what occupational therapy is. What's the difference between that and physical therapy? Yeah. So physical therapy, I tell everybody, this is kind of the way I describe it is they're kind of working from point A to point B. Um, they're kind of getting you in the mobility. They look at a lot of like your lower body. Um, they can work on, you know, being able to get from point A to point B. They look at the mobility side of things of, you know, walking or, um, doing some of, you know, being able to get up from a a chair or some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Occupational therapy looks at daily activities. Um, so it kind of crosses over a little bit, which is why we work really closely with physical therapy. Um, it's kind of a team effort to treat the whole patient. Um, so I feel like we focus in on those daily activities, anything that you need to do to take care of yourself or anything that you need to take care of your surroundings. That would also include, I think of for kiddos, that's play in school, um, Mm -hmm. for, you know, adults that can be, we can do work. Um, we can do driving, we can do any of those other activities, household chores, uh, managing finances. So we can kind of do some of that stuff as well. So it's really about those activities. Wow. So what's the most interesting or what are, you know, something that sticks out to you for someone who said like, this is one of my goals or this is meaningful for for me. And you're like, Oh, thanking yourself. I'm so glad I asked the question because I would have never guessed. What would you say? Yeah, I'd say, and I think, you know, it just, it just depends because I've had a lot of stuff that pops up and I'm like, well, I'm not super familiar with that. So I'm going to have to do some research. So I think of hobbies in general, like some of those mm-hmm. hobbies that pop up. So I've had it where I worked with patients. Um, so a little background in um, home and community. I actually work with primarily patients that have been involved in auto accidents okay. so I work with like multi-trauma, a pa- you know, traumatic mm-hmm. brain injury, spinal cord injury. Um, so I have had it before where someone's come to me and said, 
hey, you know, um, I, I sustained this spinal cord injury, but I'm a hunter and I want to be able to go back to bow hunting. How can I do yeah. that? Um, so I'm like, you know, I've never bow hunted, but yeah. let's figure it out. So <laughs> figure it out. I love it. I love it so much. And it's like, you can't fake passion. You can't fake curiosity. And I just, I love, um, it's cool because your story of how you got into this is really neat because I feel like practitioners of any kind that has a a personal story, like one of my doctors, she, you would never know it, but she had some pretty traumatic medical history and you would never know. Like if I saw her in the preschool pickup line, I would never know. And she shared some of that with me, um, as a part of, you know, talking about, you know, my history and similarities or differences or whatever. And I could just tell, like, she cared about not only me, but of what this can do, like what different medical journeys can do and the impact it can have on your life. So I just, I don't take that for granted from anyone. And I'm so thankful you're doing what you're doing, that there's practitioners in the world like you that have like this heart. And I hope you never like lose that. How, how long have you been doing this? So I actually have worked in health in healthcare in general for 12 years. Okay. Um, I've been an OT uh, coming up in March will be five years. Okay. So I, I've worked as, you know, a nurse aide, a rehab specialist. Um, so kind of working into the role of OT, um, went through my master's program, got my degree and then started. Um, and I worked have worked in a various amount of settings, but yeah, so I've been doing it for about five years now. Yeah. 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 And then doing similar work for around 12. And so what helps you not get burned out? Cause a lot of helping professions, it can be exhausting, So talk to us about, because maybe, you know, a listener is not in a helping profession or maybe they are, but I know probably 90% of who I work with, I would call of like helpers. Mm -hmm. They are like very involved moms or they're very involved in some kind of helping thing. So how do you notice like how you don't get burned out? Like what are some strategies or how does that work for you? So I think the biggest thing, and I, I actually take students, so I talk about this all the time because if they're Good. going to, if they're going into this profession, yeah. um, I think the biggest thing is, you know, what are what are reasonable boundaries? Um, you know, kind of what what can you set um, to make sure you know? I, I talk about, for example, um, there's times, you know, I only take a half an hour lunch, but I make sure that I eat my lunch and I make sure that I, you know, take care of myself um, during that period of time. Um, that's what I need to do to be able to take care of my patients. Um, or, you know, setting, you know, my, I always tell my students, my rule of thumb is, uh, we get out on time, you know, so we, we get out on time. That's my boundary. Right. So, so we have to set that. And then I think outside of work, I'm just making sure that you're taking care of yourself. So for example, like, like you, you know, kind of provide some of those classes. And so I'm that physical activity. So that's one way that I kind of take care of myself. Um, and just filling your cup, I think that's the hardest part is being a helper is you want to help everybody else, but you got to fill your cup first before you fill everybody else. Um, so if you're not taking care of you, you have to like 
And I tell everybody prioritizing that is really tough. Like I sometimes fall into that where I get a busy week and it's like, I'm not prioritizing taking care of myself and I can feel it. So I think it's just checking in with yourself and making yourself a priority um, and scheduling that. So I tell everybody, you know, your schedule speaks volumes about how, what, what's important to you. Um, So I I tell everybody, you know, it's good to check in on that. So I think just, you know, making yourself a priority too, um, which is, which is hard when you're, you're in the helping professional or a helper in general, you want to just put everybody else before you. Um, So I think just making sure that you take time for yourself. Yeah. I love those. Those are so good. Thank you for sharing those. And it's interesting. I just heard recently and I can't remember where, but I heard that who knows if it's true, but it's resourceful to, to think about this way, at least that priority was never supposed to be plural. Like we've made priorities plural, but supposedly the word itself is supposed to be singular. And just like multitasking is really not doing the same thing. It's like switching from task to set task quickly for your brain. I, it's been really resourceful for me to think like that recently. I mean, I just heard this within the last two weeks and whenever I like feel myself going like three different separate directions at the same time, I'm like, priority is supposed to be singular priority is supposed to be singular. So that's been helpful for me. (laughs) Take it or leave it. I love the clarity too, of we get out on time. Like what a positive way of saying, like, this is what we do. This is making it part of our identity. So good job leading the young people. So we don't have burned out helper professionals. Okay. I want to switch gears a little bit. Uh, And I want to hear some creative because you said you have a background in pain and I'm thinking between, you know, post-surgery for, well, let's, let's take one thing at a time. So like post-surgery for primarily like cancer patients, right. Uh, Or maybe auto stuff too. Right. So post-surgery, what would you say is the best predictor of success for quality of life and like success for the person to heal and get better. Yeah. So I think, um, just in general, like I, and I, even, even with long-term injuries too, I tell my patients motivation, like if you are motivated to get something done, like, and you are determined that I feel like is a huge predictor of that success. Um, I have a lot of, there's sometimes I have patients that are like, I'm going to do this. And I'm like, Ooh, that's, that's unsafe. Let's find a safer way for us to do it. But I mean, I'm glad that they're motivated to do it. So I think that's probably the biggest thing is if you have goals that you're working towards, or I'm going to get back to this, like, I would say that that is the biggest predictor of kind of that positive energy, that positive attitude, and then working towards those goals. Yeah. Um, after, uh, one of my surgeries, well, my initial cancer surgery, they took my thyroid out and then they removed 15 lymph nodes. And prior to the surgery at first, they thought I was going to have a decision to make. Um, and you know that I teach fitness classes and I run a fitness business and I talk and yell in everything a lot. Okay. Uh, and so prior, when I first got diagnosed with thyroid cancer, they said, okay, you're, we could divide it into two surgeries. You have a choice. We could divide it into two surgeries and that will either eliminate or really like reduce the chance of you losing your voice completely. 
Uh, and so at first I was strongly considering, but they were like, then you go under the knife in this big way, you know, pretty closely in two different bouts. And so I, at that time I was like, oh my goodness, I maybe should do that because I don't want to lose my voice. And so then they came back to me and made the decision for me. And they said, no, no, no. Um, you know, there's, there's cancer up closer to your ear. We got to do the whole thing right in one bout. So I just knew in my heart, like no matter how down and out I was, I was like, I will not. And I had so many people say like, oh my goodness, I had other people or so-and-so my friend, so-and-so always just had a whispery voice after that, after removing the thyroid and I had like several people saying that to me. And I thought in my head, oh no, no, I can't have a whispery voice. Like I need my voice. And so, I mean, I woke up in rough shape from that surgery and it took a long time to recover, but you better believe I was talking to all my friends about how I can make sure I get my voice back. And I actually, one of my friends is a voice coach and Perfect. she gave me exercises to do in the car. She's like, do these in the car so you don't feel as crazy. And I have like, you know, my two-year-old in the back and I'm doing these sirens with my voice and different exercises for my voice. And dang it, I can yell with the best of them still. So I was like, I will not have a whispery voice. Here we go. That's awesome. Yeah. So that definitely resonates. And I've seen that in other people too, that I can tell like something goes off in their brain and they're like, when it's part of their identity, it's just, it gives them a certain amount of willpower that is just a force to be reckoned with. It's, it's really cool. It's interesting to see. So would you say, and I don't know what kind of examples you might give, but you said, tell us about the lecture or the course that you teach um, as a part of one of the programs in one of the nearby universities. Yeah. So um, I, I provide, so I used to work in our pain program. And so we, I, what I have found is that, you know, I did, I would say probably about a year and a half in our pain program um, at the particular rehab hospital that I work at. And what I have found, I think it's really great education just in general for everybody to have, because I feel like knowledge is power. And Mm -hmm. I tell my students and even just my patients, like you're going to run into pain everywhere. Like it's not just in a pain program, like you're going to run into pain. Um, So how do you treat that? And I feel like it's just something that we, we don't have a whole lot of experience treating um, and we're learning way more about it. And so I feel like it just kind of almost gets passed off sometimes like, oh, well, we have pain. Like we just kind of move on with it and just live with it. But that's not really the case. Um, so I feel like um, like I always give the example that there's a lot more complexity to pain than we give it credit for. So whether it's, you know, we talk about an acute injury, which would be like right after surgery or you have a break. Um, that would be within that normal tissue healing time. Um, you know, there's, there's intervention that you can do, um, like getting treatment early, um, you know, looking at, you know, is this something that needs to have surgery? Are you resting and icing and, and compressing it? So there's like the typical treatment. 
But when it gets past the point of normal tissue healing time, and we still have this intense pain response, it turns into this chronic pain. And at that point, it's kind of like, well, yeah, there's no tissue damage. So, um, you know, it's, it's okay. And Mm -hmm. what's happening though, is like the patient is still feeling the pain at that high intensity level, even though there's not really this tissue damage. And, and, and I think, you know, just providing that education for pain that it's way more complex makes a huge difference. Um, so the example that I usually give, um, to patients within our pain program, um, that I feel like explains it quite a bit is, you know, if you're, if you're stepping on a nail, mm-hmm. um, you know, you step on a nail, your foot, a lot of times, um, you know, we think that the foot registers it and you just pull the foot away. Um, it's actually way more complex than that. It, it takes a lot more to kind of make that signal happen. So when you step on the nail, what actually happens is your foot kind of registers the nail. It then has to send that signal all the way to the brain. The brain then has to interpret, oh, is this painful or not? And then it sends out a motor response for that foot to lift up. And I feel like it's just a really complex system um, that there's a lot of different things that can cause the pain system to kind of increase. Um, What can happen is, for example, if you had an injury in that foot before um, and it kind of got used to sending that signal, Mm -hmm. um, you step on like a cotton ball, which normally wouldn't be a painful stimulus. Um, But that foot kind of goes, hey, I don't know what that is, but I know the last time you stepped on the nail, like that was a painful stimulus. So it sends that signal and it doesn't even think about it and it just sends it automatically. Um, Mm -hmm. So we can look at, um, you know, how do you retrain that brain response? Um, I tell patients, you're feeling everything that you're feeling, but it's more that the brain is kind of going on automatic and making some of these stimuli that's not necessarily supposed to be painful, painful. And they are painful, but we can help with that. Um, How do you kind of manage it day in and day out? Yeah. So what are some typical ways that you talk to patients about retraining your brain with that response? So we talk a lot about flare up management. Um, So that's kind of what we go to. Um, So, and that's not just on your flare up days, it's kind of day in and day out. It's something that you kind of have to manage. And when you you do the flare up management day in and day out, what can happen is there's three things that can happen. You can have less intensity of your flare ups. They can be less duration where they're a shorter timeframe. And then the other thing that can happen is you have them less frequently. So those particular flare-up management techniques, um, we talk about performing relaxation mm-hmm. as one of the first ones um, because our body goes into a stress response. So again, that's where that automatic signal comes from. It goes into fight or flight. So if you're stressed, sometimes patients will tell me, hey, I had a really stressful week and I, I realized my pain went up with that. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty typical response. Um, so again, if we can decrease that stress, we actually pull you away from the pain signal being sent. So we talk about relaxation. Um, the other one is looking at like just mechanics. Um, so again, keeping your body in a, a good position, we call it neutral position, which I feel like is just good for everybody. <laughs> um, I feel like we all can use some body mechanics training. Yeah. Um, so just like posture, looking at, you know, neck position, shoulder position, depending on, um, and that's something that OT will specifically look at of like daily activities. Like how do we decrease that bending? How do we decrease that twisting? Um, just to kind of keep it more neutral. Um, we look at stretches. So again, like if the muscle is tight again from stress, or even if you're overusing it, um, what are, you know, if you're kind of noticing that you carry tension within that muscle, um, when a muscle, um, 
spasms. And I speak about that because it's something that's common with patients that have chronic pain. They'll tell me I have these muscle spasms. The muscle actually shortens. So when we're actually stretching, we're lengthening it and it can help with some of the spasms. It also decreases overall tension. So I think, you know, that kind of helps to keep us in a better position. And then the last two kind of go hand in hand. Um, as far as flare up management that we teach, um, there's a pacing one. Um, so kind of chunking your activities apart, listening to your body, being able to do your stretches when you need them, being able to take breaks as you need them, checking in and saying, okay, yep, I'm doing okay. Cause a lot of times we tend to tend to get this boom bust cycle where we do a bunch of activity and then we bust afterwards. And it's like, I feel it all afterwards. So it's kind of like checking in before that happens. It's almost like a proactive approach where you're doing it before you have the flare up to check in. Um, We're both laughing because she knows that (laughs) boom bust. (laughs) I am very much the same way. (laughs) Asking for a friend. How do you deal with that? (laughs) Okay. So being proactive. Proactive. Yep. So instead of being, you know, so that's the last one that we kind of teach too is Um, you know, being more frequent with it. So like doing your flare up management day in and day out. So that's going to be where you're almost being proactive instead of reactive. So reactive would mean that you could kind of get the flare up and then you manage it when you get it. Proactive is I'm going to do that before I get the flare up to kind of help to keep me away from the flare up and almost as a preventative. And I laugh because I'm very much an A to B type person. So Mm -hmm. I tell tell my patients all the time, I want to get it done. I want it off my checklist. And I tend to catch myself going into that boom bust cycle a little bit sometimes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I feel that too. (laughs) Definitely feel that because with me, a lot of times, okay. So define flare up a little bit. Like just what do you mean by flare up? Just so everyone understands. Yeah. So a flare up would be like that you're getting an increase in overall pain response. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, I talk about, you know, I guess the the boom bust cycle is the best, the best way to describe it. So if I use an example of we have snow now, so we're shoveling. Um, So I feel like, you know, I went out and shoveled my driveway and I was there for two hours shoveling my driveway and now I can't move afterwards. Um, So that's kind of like, you know, I I can't move and I'm down for the next day and a half because I'm so painful. That would be kind of like your flare up. Um, So it's like that kind of big, huge boom of activity. And then you kind of bust afterwards or you're down for the count. Um, Mm. So that's what kind of we mean by flare up. Yeah, that's good. I, one thing that I remind myself and my clients about during a particular class, not everyone's like this, I know, but I'm definitely like this. I get excited. And if I'm doing something fun or if I'm enjoying it, or if I'm getting super determined, like shoveling for three hours, like you said, you know, um, I can not even notice it. Right. So you said to like check in, but then also another thing that helps me and helps fitness inspirers is saying, we want you to be able to show up tomorrow. Mm-hmm. We want you to be able to show up tomorrow. So just like you say to your students, we get out in time. We show up in a powerful way tomorrow too. I think that but- also goes with pacing. So I, I use that as an example too. Um, you know, I, I use myself as an example. I used to do all of my household activities on Saturday and then mm-hmm. I was tired afterwards. And now I'm like, I could chunk them out in the middle of the day or the middle of the week. So I kind of space them out. But the thing is you're actually getting more done when you space it out and chunk it apart. And it seems weird. Cause I, I mean, I'm very much a person that I want to get stuff done. And so I do yeah. a 
bunch of stuff all at once. Mm -hmm. But as actually, if you're pacing it, you're not down for the count and you don't need that recovery time. Mm -hmm. So you're actually getting more done because you're kind of Mm -hmm. chunking it appropriately and not completely wearing your body out. And that's, it's a tough concept to learn. I, I am not, I wouldn't say I a hundred percent do that all the time, but I think it's a good thing to think about. Um, so I remind myself, you know, I like to be productive and be busy. Um, so I'm like, okay, I have to chunk this apart to be able to be more productive. Absolutely. Can you talk to us about, I'm pretty sure this is a thing, but I could be wrong. Um, so talking about cardio and aerobic training as it relates to pain kind of over the long term, over the short term. Uh, cause one thing that I was like, wow, this is insane. I was dealing with, this was a few years back. And honestly, I would have kind of pain all the time, except for when I was doing cardio exercise and I started kind of looking into it and I was like, oh my goodness, from what I could figure out, it was like so clear to me. It's like, I had pretty intense pain and until I was doing cardio and then I maybe for an hour or two after I would feel really good. And then it would, it would start to come back. And I kind of looked up some things and best I could figure out was about kind of like our body's natural morphine production. I think it's called something else in the hormone form, but that, and some other, you know, serotonin, you know, some other like kind of happy hormones. I don't know, or I just love working out. So talk to us about that. No, I'm glad you brought that up. That's actually one of the flare up management techniques that I missed. Um, So I'm glad you mentioned that. So aerobic exercise is one of the biggest ones. Um, And usually we tell patients to do like a walking program. It is also super helpful just in other areas too. So I'll, I'll kind of explain that a little bit, but you're right on the right track. So when we do aerobic conditioning, usually they say about 10 minutes or longer, um, we tend to get a release of endorphins. Um, And so, you know, you release those, I tell everybody, it's like the marathon runner at the end of the marathon, they feel amazing afterwards. Yeah. Uh, You get that runner's high. And so um, it kind of takes over for, you know, and kind of releases it and and helps a lot with that pain. So aerobic conditioning can make a huge difference um, in kind of almost rerouting that, that pain signal. Um, we use that a lot. So our program, we usually will wean patients off of their narcotic medication. Mm-hmm. Um, so we use that when we're doing active weans to help to kind of almost counterbalance um, some of the weaning process. So yeah, we can use it a lot. Um, so aerobic conditioning is huge. Um, we can definitely yeah. uh, feel that a little bit more and, and help with a lot of the pain response there. Oh yeah, that's cool. So um Ah, interesting. And I bet the, even the breathing deeply, I remember I was doing, uh, I was helping out with a program with smoking cessation and how you can, how you do that deep breathing. Like that's one of the things that smokers, obviously there's other components, but that's one of the things you can use as a tool to yeah. do the deep breathing. And it kind of just, you have to deep, you have to breathe deeper when you're working out from a cardio perspective. So quick question on that. Um, so is it respiration, heart rate, or both, uh, to get to the point where you can actually release those? 
So I usually, we usually track it based on heart rate. That's just, just mm-hmm. our general. I mean, obviously we're monitoring oxygen at the same time. I'm, yeah. I, I think of, you know, especially in the, the pandemic era, you know, I'm kind of working yeah. with post COVID too. So I'm watching yeah. that, but I think yeah. the other thing is, you know, we look at that increase in heart rate. That's usually the biggest mm-hmm. indicator mm-hmm. of that. Um, so I think, you know, just making sure I know you guys, I mean, especially with, um, exercise personnel, if you're taking a class, they're going to talk to you about yeah. like heart rate zones and stuff like yeah. that. Um, so we tell patients, you know, in order to calculate your max heart rate, you usually do 220 minus your age. Um, so yeah. I say, um, just to make sure you're not going over that max, you're not pushing your body too hard. Um, but I think, you know, trying to be within that range, um, to kind of get that increase in heart rate is kind of what we use to guide it. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think so. The, um, for me, I mean, I know everyone's different and I do a lot of this kind of thing because of my job, but, um, I would need to do more than probably walk unless I was like an extreme incline to get my heart rate to the point where I could get that feeling of helping with pain relief. Um, and that just has to do with the person's baseline, right? Resting heart rate or what? What do you think? Yes. With us, um, I would say from like a therapy perspective, we're usually getting patient, you know, patients after an injury. So they're, they're kind of starting out at like, almost, you know, where they made the walking program would be challenging. So I think it just depends. You have to find that just right challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, so again, if I get athletes that are coming in, I have to modify that and make it more of a high intensity. Um, so it just depends on everybody. Everybody's individualized. So I think just finding the just right challenge for you. And that's a big Mm -hmm. term in OT is finding that just right challenge. Um, so I think, yeah, (laughs) I think it's just depends, depends on, depends on the patient. I have some patients that, yeah, they, you know, they need to have a running program, um, or they need to do some biking, um, in order yeah. to get that release. And then other patients that, Hey, we're doing a 10 minute walk and they get the release because they have had an episode where they're very deconditioned, um, mm-hmm. you know, or they have a, you know, a diagnosis where they, you know, have had a, you know, a long hospital stay and now they're coming out and they yeah. haven't really done a whole lot of walking. So it just depends on where they're starting at. Absolutely. And wherever you're starting, wherever you are right now is just like, you're exactly where you need to be. You know, it's like, I, I think that there's so much psychology behind people kind of like throwing their hands up in the air before they even start. And it's amazing how much progress people can make, you know, from I'm sure when you start with them to when they're released. So why don't you leave us with a an encouragement or, uh, something that we can all kind of apply to our life, either a piece of homework or, uh, just, a, a motivational kind of thing that what, when you're putting the work in or when you're showing up or when you're using your resources, it really can make a positive impact. Yeah. So I always tell my patients that I work with, you know, you gotta, I, a lot of times we compare to where we were before we had the injury and really you should be comparing where you were at after the injury injury and where you've come from. So I think it's hard to do that when you're in it. Um, so I tell everybody, little things are big things and they add up to that. So even if it's day by day, um, I think I catch myself, you know, telling myself, I need to go to the gym. I just got to get there. So that's the biggest thing is, you know, yeah. kind of setting those small goals and then working towards them because that's going to eventually lead you to your bigger goals. 
Um, I think the other thing is if you're looking for increased resources on like the pain components, um, I just want to throw out this uh, website. It's called painrehabsource.com. It is actually um, Dr. Parks is one of our um, clinical psychologists. And so he actually does a podcast on um, relaxation techniques. He does um, some free webinars on some chronic pain, and he actually does have a book that is out now. So I say, so if you're looking for more resources, it's very um, patient centered. They kind of, you know, kind of give the resources so that way patients can utilize them, but I, I find them helpful. And so I usually will throw that out there too. Yeah. I love how he, I listened to a couple episodes and they're very manageable to do, and you can kind of do along with him which I also think is cool that it's patient focused, like you said, rather than just like talking at you. And then you have to still figure out a time to do the thing. And you're like, am I doing it right? So you just kind of do it along with them, which is so perfect. Thank you so much for being here, Courtney. I appreciate your wisdom, your, your generosity here. I know it's really good. Like you said, we all deal with pain at some point and we all deal with challenge and you're just way of framing it. And, oh, I just love it. So thank you so much. Is there any place like if people want to reach out? uh, I love the resource you gave. Is there anything else that you want to share as parting with us? Yeah. So if you guys have any other further questions, I can just kind of throw my my personal email out there. So if you guys have questions. So it's... uh, Courtney. So it's C-O-U-R-T-N-E-Y dot J dot Houston, H-U-S-E-N at gmail.com. So if you guys have any other questions and want to reach out, I can try to answer those for you um, or kind of get you into connection with some other resources if you're, if you're wondering. So awesome. Thank you so much. And we'll put both those resources in the show notes in the you know description for the podcast. And have a great day, everyone. Throw your hands in the air. You're doing it. Thank you for being here, Courtney. You rock, girl. Woo, woo. Oh, yeah, you did it. This has been another episode of the Making Changes You Love to Live With podcast. I think you know already that I love, love, love helping people just like you become stronger, brighter, bolder versions of yourself. I see something in you that maybe you don't even see yet, okay? So I just want you to like soak that in and receive it and be like, yes, yes, she's talking to me. I can't wait to warm up with you with a little fitness inspired warm up on Friday to get your blood pumping and do a victory lap on your week. Let's finish with this amazing song by Kaylee Joy and the intro song is her amazing work as well. So, woo woo, let's do this thing. I love the sentiment of this song and I hope you enjoy it too. Again, thank you for being here. You listening, you sharing your story, being a part of this community, sharing episodes with friends, sharing this podcast with friends. It just makes a world of difference and allows this to happen. So get it, get it, have a great day and enjoy the song.
But this new beginning of dream does here to stay Yeah, I messed up But it turns out that you wanted me anyway I got nothing left to prove No money to measure up anymore This is real life No other way